Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. For many believers, conviction of sin can be conflated with guilt and shame. Though we claim to believe that Christ can and has forgiven the sins we have committed, we oftentimes have a difficult time with believing that God can continue to forgive us when we habitually sin. How is it possible that we can have a God that hates sin so much but still gives us new mercies every single day? How do we live in a way that shows that we believe that we are forgiven when shame and guilt seems to be ever-present? But before we get started, Vince, can you tell our listeners about the Emerging Apologist Program and how someone who senses the call to become an apologist can apply? for our December session. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, the Emerging Apologist Program is one that gets us particularly excited. We spend a week uh, journeying with people that are sensing a call, uh, a real passion for evangelism and apologetics. It's going to be from December 4th to December 7th. The uh, deadline for applications is October 19th, and you can apply by going to rzim.org slash EAP. Uh, But we run this program about twice a year. So if you don't come this time, you can come in a future time. It is a selective program. So you make an application. And really, we gather a a number of the RZAM staff together to journey with people for a week. It's really a mentorship program. You get a high level of contact with our staff. And we're really trying to help people discern call, discern gifting, develop skills, and really be prepared for the emerging apologetic questions of our day. Most of the team here became apologists because they were passionate about evangelism. They had a longing to share Jesus with their friends, their colleagues, their family, and then they started getting asked questions that they didn't know the answer to. And so we started doing research. We started talking with people. We started finding communities that were going to help us wrestle through the questions so that we could be prepared to have an answer for those who ask for the reason for the hope that we have. So if that's the place that you're in, you're longing to share Jesus with other people, you're being asked difficult questions, you know you need to be more prepared, this could be the program for you. You can apply at rzim.org EAP. Excellent. Well, let us jump into the first question. Um, I know that God has forgiven me, but how can I learn to forgive myself? I'm really grateful for this question, and uh, this is actually a question that uh, one of my friends has been wrestling through at the moment. So it's something I've been I've been thinking about, and that uh, I've had to deal with in the context of a relationship in my life. Uh, one of the things that I've spoken about with my friend recently uh, in response to this question: I understand God has forgiven me, but I don't find that I can forgive myself. One thing we've spoken about is that forgiveness is not just a feeling. And I think in our post-truth culture, we tend to prioritize feelings and emotions over objective facts and truth. So if I don't feel forgiven, then I'm not. And if I don't feel that I can forgive myself, then I can't. But I want to say that forgiveness is not just a feeling. It's something that you do. Uh, It's a choice that you make. When forgiveness occurs between two people— Uh, forgiveness happens when one person says, will you forgive me? And the other person says, yes, I will. 
That's when the forgiveness happens. Now, that doesn't mean that there are never going to be frustrating emotions moving forward. That doesn't mean that whatever caused the rift between those two people is never going to be emotionally difficult moving forward. But the forgiveness has actually taken place when both parties choose to take that step of reconciliation. So one thing I'd like to say to you, and thank you for uh, being willing to ask this question of us, is that you can forgive yourself now. You can trust in the forgiveness that God has offered to you. And perhaps in the context of prayer, you can say to God, I accept your forgiveness of me, and therefore I am willing to forgive myself as well. And that forgiveness can take place even if it takes some time for the feelings to catch up with the facts of the reconciliation and the forgiveness that have actually happened. My friend actually gave a really good example. Uh, he said it's sort of like working working out in the morning. Uh, how do you work out in the morning? You just do it. <laughs> he said, some if, of us "Yeah, do some it. of us." I was going to say, "Does getting out of bed count?" <laughs> well, you know a lot about the fitness in this room now. <laughs> But, it, but you just do it. You, if you waited until you felt the feelings of desiring to work out, you would not be in very good shape like the people in this room. Ouch. Hey. Hey. Wow. here. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Have we said that on this show? No, we yeah, haven't okay, told everyone we... yet. Great. Well, Joe just dropped that into, into conversation. Congratulations, Joe. Yeah, Joe is 21 weeks pregnant, and anyone who is listening, we just had our scan. We're extremely grateful to have had a encouraging scan, uh, the 20-week scan, and we would really appreciate your prayers. So thank you for praying for us, and thank you, Joe, uh, even though that was a slip for getting many more people to pray for us and our baby. We're very grateful for that. Great shape uh, for a pregnant lady. That's right. But I thought it was a great example. Uh, if we let feelings be what drives us, then we're never going to get up uh, and work out in the morning. But sometimes there are things that we have the capability of doing, and sometimes through doing it, you find that the feelings come later. I think that's so helpful. The other thing that um, was definitely a personal challenge to me is I think sometimes when when we don't forgive ourselves, um, it can seem as if we're doing that out of a posture of deep humility. It can seem as if we're, you know, we're basically acknowledging I'm so bad, I'm so unworthy. And, you know, and there's a sense in which that is exactly how you're feeling. But I, I also want to challenge that a little bit, that I think sometimes the very uh, refusal to accept forgiveness and to forgive ourselves can sometimes actually come out of a place of pride rather than humility. And um, I, I may have mentioned this before, but when I spent some time living in Uganda a long time ago now, but uh, it, it was very, very humbling when you would go to different people's homes and they owned like one goat or one chicken. And when they heard you were coming, they would kill the animal and serve it to you in a stew. And this would be like, you know, the, the chicken they'd been saving for Christmas or something like that. And they would kill it because you were their guest and they wanted to honor you. And you're sitting there thinking, I do not deserve this unbelievable gift and you almost want to refuse it because, you know, you I could buy meat anytime and these people couldn't and yet they were giving me their chicken. And yet the most offensive, prideful thing I could have done in that moment would be to refuse the gift yeah. and to say no to them. Actually, the way to honor the, the unbelievable generosity and sacrifice they made is, is to say thank you and to eat it, um, <laughs> even if it's getting stuck in your throat as you do. Um, and and I, I just feel like how much more, you know, God didn't just kill a chicken, but Christ sacrificed himself to deal with our sin. And so I think sometimes when we say, God, I know you've forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. It's basically like saying what Christ has done for us on the cross wasn't actually 
enough to cover the weight of our sin. Maybe everyone else, but ours is so huge and so, so enormous that it can't deal with it. And I'm thinking, man, like what else does God have to do here? So I think as hard as it is, you don't, you don't feel prideful in that moment. I've been there myself, but actually it's forgiving yourself is putting yourself in the position of saying, actually, I'm not God and therefore I am not perfect. And that's why I've sinned in these substantial ways. But but let me allow him to be God in my life rather than trying to play God myself and let him make the determination of, of, of whether I'm forgiven or not. And what has he determined for those who genu- genuinely repent? Amazing things. He says that, um, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says that those who have been reconciled to him um, are now above reproach in his sight. He says that he's removed our sins so far that it's as far as the east is, is from the west. And I love this one in Romans 8, 31, when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I think we think of that about other people being against us, but we can't even be against ourselves if God is for us. And so I recognize maybe that's that's a challenging thing to say, but I, but I think allowing yourself to be forgiven, actually, that's a place of humility rather than pride. Yeah, it's a really good point. If we say that God can forgive us, but we can't forgive ourselves. That's like saying that our standard is higher than God's yeah. standard. Right, right. Jesus has, what Jesus has done has met God's standard, but it wasn't enough to meet our standard. So like you say, that's actually not a position of humility. It's actually a position of arrogance. That's really, really helpful. W- one other thought I had about this is that if we want to experience forgiveness, I think we need to foster the habit of forgiving others. The Bible makes a really strong connection between us receiving forgiveness and us forgiving others. So a couple of verses relevant to that, Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Matthew 6.14 and 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Or Matthew 6.12, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So there's this connection in Scripture between receiving forgiveness and us forgiving others. And I think forgiving yourself, when you don't forgive others, it sets up a double standard and makes you feel, and rightly so, like a hypocrite. Uh, you're willing to forgive yourself, but you're not willing to forgive someone else, even though you both have sinned. Right. That's why I think it can be hard to forgive yourself if you're not in the habit of forgiving others. So if we want to forgive ourselves, we need to foster that habit. And practically, how can you do that? One thing that I find really helpful is just to spend one minute each day praying for someone that you find it difficult to love or difficult to forgive. I've always thought one of the most radical things Jesus ever said is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Uh, praying for your enemies or for those who you find it difficult to love. It's this powerful way of developing a disposition of charity and forgiveness towards others. And I think if we develop that habit towards others, then that can be very helpful in terms of us actually developing the capability of extending grace and charity and forgiveness towards ourselves as well. So just very practically to get down to the concrete, if we want to learn to forgive ourselves, trusting God's forgiveness of us, how can we do that? Well, maybe it's partly by realizing that we're all sinners, we're all in the same boat, we all fall short of the glory of God, and looking to those people that we look at as enemies or as difficult to love and spending a minute each day actually extending a prayer for them. And if God can give us the grace to forgive even our enemies, then surely he can give us the grace to forgive ourselves as well. Yeah. And I think 
um, I think sometimes people struggle with this in part because we we have a bit of a fear that if we if we forgive ourselves for certain things, it's like saying that what happened was okay. You know, we somehow think is it implying that mm. that that maybe it wasn't as big a deal as it was. But actually, that's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is actually recognizing just how how serious something is and still God choosing to forgive us. So it's not like you're saying, hey, no big deal here. And I often think of, of the Apostle Paul in this regard because, I mean, think of who he was before he came to Christ and and actually the Christians that he he killed, and you know, including he was there when they stoned Stephen. And, and then when you come to Christ and just imagine the guilt of that, of now belonging to a body of people and you've been responsible for the deaths of some of them. You persecuted them. And and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I'm the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And, you know, he's saying that about 20 years later, and you can still sense the regret in, in that statement. But I think there's a difference between regretting what has gone before. He's not saying it was okay what happened, but he's no longer living under condemnation and the shame of it. He's actually free in Christ. And and when you think about what it, what is the secret here of Paul's ability to move forwards and, and not live under guilt. And I think a huge piece of that is where his gaze is fixed. And, you know, think of Philippians 3 when he says, one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press forward towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I think maybe part of this forgiveness piece is about not being people who constantly are looking back and always dwelling on the past and the mistakes we made before, but but believing the God who says, you know, forget the former things, see I'm doing a new thing. But looking to that God and saying, okay, Lord, what new thing are you doing today? The more we look at Jesus, the less we're going to be focused in on ourselves and kind of get stuck in these cycles of guilt and regret. I really like that point. And I think that's true for a lot of people, it's difficult to forgive yourself because that seems like you're saying it's all right what happened or that you're excusing what happened in some way. But isn't it the freedom of the Christian life that we can forgive without saying that because the sin was not just excused, it was not just all right, but it was paid for Mm -hmm. by Jesus on the cross. And so it's particularly because Jesus was judged and Jesus took on that justice that we can forgive without undermining justice in the process. Vince, you mentioned that forgiveness is more than just a feeling. You're not just forgiven when you feel you're forgiven. Where does actual justification in the sight of God play into this? Yeah, I think that's so important, Michael, uh, that our justification accomplished by Jesus is a fact, and it's not based on our feelings. And because of what Jesus did, in a sense, our sin is transferred to him. And his righteousness is transferred to us. And so when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so one way that I think it's helpful to think about it, which Tim Keller, an analogy that he has used, is that uh, in terms of your justification, uh, in terms of your reconciliation before God, uh, imagine that as if you uh, were going over a cliff and you reached out and you grabbed onto a branch which is protruding from the cliff, you may or may not feel like that branch is going to hold. But the saving that is taking place, the rescuing that is taking place, is taking place not because of what you feel but because of what is actually there. What is actually there is a branch, and if that branch is sturdy, then it can hold you whether you think it is going to hold you or not. And so we have to look back to what Jesus has done and said he has done something which is so sturdy, which is so uh, constant and lasting 
and has reconciled us to God in such a full way that even when our feelings go on a roller coaster sometimes, his sacrifice was enough once and for all, and so we can put our trust in that. This uh, next question is from Janet. Can Jesus truly fully empathize with us when he did not have to deal with guilt? He was perfect and committed no sin. For the rest of us, guilt tends to adversely affect many of our relationships in life and most importantly causes us to create separation between ourselves and God. Can Christ, who never did anything to feel guilty about, truly empathize with us because we experience something which is so often detrimental to us as humans? Janet, I deeply appreciate the way that in your question, you've essentially paraphrased Hebrews 4 verse 15, which says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And on the one hand, I mean... This is it's so key and so important the fact that Jesus didn't sin because of course if he did sin how on earth would he be able to um as Vince has already spoken to you, act as a, a substitute in our place. If, if he himself had sins to carry, he couldn't possibly carry our own. So you're right, it's absolutely key and fundamental to the Christian faith that Christ is sinless. And yet, I, I also think this is a really fair question you're asking. You know, How can he empathise with us when guilt does have such a huge impact on our lives? And one way or the other, it's something that we all do struggle with. I think there are a few different things we could say to this. And let me just start off with one of them. Which is, while, while it's true that God himself doesn't carry guilt for things that he has done wrong, um, I, I nevertheless think that when we're talking about the impact of guilt on relationships and the way that it adversely affects relationships in our life, I actually don't think there's anybody who has experienced the adverse effects of guilt on relationship more than God himself. I mean, God has had to deal with the guilt that impacts every single relationship of every single human person who's ever lived in regards to the way that it affects their relationship between themselves and God. So in that sense... Um, he's dealing with it all the time. He's dealing with the fact that because of the, the sins that we as humans commit, there is guilt in the way. Therefore, we're separated from him. And, and he's the one who's bearing the brunt of that and the impact of that. Sometimes uh, because we uh, refuse to repent of our sins and therefore it's come between us. Other times because even though we've come to him and accepted his forgiveness, like we've just been talking about, we can't forgive ourselves. And so God has to deal with that frustrating situation of when we're holding him at arm's length effectively and saying, no, my, my, my guilt and my sin are too big for you. And therefore we put him at a distance. And, and so I think God knows a lot about the pain of broken relationship because of our guilt. He knows that both before Christ came in broken relationships, but he also knew it even when he, when Christ was walking on earth as a, uh, in human flesh himself. And just think of the way that he had to deal with, with the pain of the guilt in certain relationships in his life, like Judas and the guilt that he carried when, when he leaves the Last Supper and Jesus know he's, knows he's going to betray him. And he has to feel that devastating impact of the guilt that Judas bore on their relationship and, and, and actually knowing that Jesus would go on to do those things and then, and then die in terrible shame, still burdened by that same guilt. Same with Peter, you know, that Jesus and Peter have to have a really tough conversation after Peter's betrayed him. And, um, and again, it's, it's Jesus helping Peter work through the guilt that he's feeling over that betrayal. So even though God himself hasn't experienced guilt for sin he's committed, he experiences all the time the impact of guilt on our relationship with him. Just another passage that affirms what you're saying, Joe, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's such a strong statement 
the idea of God making Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And I think it speaks to what you're saying, that on the cross, although Jesus was not guilty for sin he had committed, he experienced the full consequences of guilt. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge piece here. And and I think it's very significant that when Jesus is on the cross, the words that he prays to the Father are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think that in particular emphasizes this thing you're talking about of, of knowing what it's like to feel separated. And actually, it, there's a very strong sense in which when Jesus becomes sin for us, he, he is truly carrying our guilt. He is truly carrying the consequences of sin. And that is guilt. And um. And someone was saying to me the other day that they they thought the only reason that Jesus quoted that psalm on the cross is because of how the psalm ends triumphantly, pointing to the fact that, you know, God has triumphed. And as if, you know, it was some like secretive hint Jesus is making just to say, hey, but this is all going to end well. And and I agree that that's part of the reason that Jesus quotes that psalm to say, hey, we're we're in a very dark place now, but still looking ahead to triumph. But I think if Jesus only wanted to talk about the triumph, he could have ended with that verse of the psalm. Right. So I just thought, why does he begin with those words? I think he begins with them because they're speaking to something very substantial that is going on within the Trinity in that moment. The cross is a Trinitarian moment. And I think in that moment, Jesus is truly experiencing um, the the price of carrying sin, which which is separation that comes through the weight of the guilt in that moment. And I think he truly experiences that distance from his father, just as his father experiences that distance from the son. And it's a sort of tragic moment. But but I think in that moment, Jesus does understand and what guilt does to us. And he does therefore have the ability to empathize with us. You're also asking here, Janet, about how Jesus can uh, empathize with our uh, emotions, uh, in particular, these these things that we feel internally. Uh, And I think one thing that's relevant here as well is the idea that uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? And so there's some significant sense in which we're sharing a dwelling or a home with God, with the Holy Spirit. And when you live in a home, you experience the mess of that house, even if you didn't make the mess. And so there is a significant sense in which the Holy Spirit experiences the the messiness and sometimes the stain uh, that comes in our homes through the emotions that we have because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. And I think maybe the one other metaphor which is significant here is this idea of the church as the bride of Christ. So there's this metaphor of the marriage relationship between those who are the community of Christians uh, and Jesus himself. And likewise, uh, you know, if your spouse is guilty of something, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are guilty of it, but you carry it as well. Uh, you experience it, the stain of that. Uh, you might even owe something uh, because of that. If it's a financial uh, debt or mistake, for instance, you may be as financially obligated as your spouse to to pay back the money. So that unity is real as the Holy Spirit and God himself is united uh, with the believer in a significant way. And I think that really does help uh, for God to be able to empathize with the whole range of our emotions. 
Vince uh, has deep personal experience and empathy <laughs> as as someone who uh, has to live with my mess in the house. We have different definitions of, of what <laughs> what mess is. He's the I'm best sp- folder I've ever seen, and he still has to trip over some of my clothes on the way to the bathroom. I'm speaking so. out of my pain here, <laughs> Janet. He is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just just wait. Once you have kids, just, you, Vince, if you, yeah. you need a certain way, just just embrace the crazy because yeah. that is what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, this is only getting worse. The rest it? of your life. You know, Janet, just to invert the question uh, <laughs> as well, you know, rather than focusing on how God might not be able to empathize with us, I also think it's worth focusing on the amazing extent to which he can empathize Amen. with us because he was willing to humble himself and take the form of a servant. Jesus has done literally everything he can to be able to empathize with us while still remaining a perfect sacrifice, the only one who could redeem us from sin because he is without sin. Uh, with the exception, as Hebrews 4 says, of not sinning, he has literally taken on everything else you can take on in order to be able to empathize with us. When we turn the question around in that way, isn't that something that is so worth rejoicing mm-hmm. about? And how how grateful I am that, that he doesn't have personal experience of of sinning himself and and the fact that the cool our coolest Christians is as the Lord says be holy as I am holy I'm so thankful that he is holy and um even this last week it's been kind of tough looking being on social media and just seeing some of the the anger and the pain that people are are feeling culturally right now and the way they're turning on each other and and everyone's so sure that they're right and the people who disagree with them are wrong but we're all so embroiled in um in our limited perspective and and bringing so much baggage to the table that none of us can see clearly and none of us are actually even in a position to determine what's right and what's wrong and who's telling the truth and who isn't. And we're all trying to judge, but we can't because we're we're all in our own mess. And I'm so glad that there's a judge above that who can see clearly, who's able to separate out all these different pieces, who sees to the heart, even when it's incredibly complicated, and he will judge justly because he is holy, because he is set apart. So... Um, as much as we may wrestle with questions like this, and, and I think, wow, how amazing that we can say all the things we just said, and yet we can still say God is set apart. He is holy. And and that is a God I want to look to. If God if God had his own uh, sin to carry, how could he rescue us? How could he help us out of the cultural mess that we're in, of the personal mess that we're in? So while I, I deeply appreciate this question, the more I look at the... Um, the state of the news right now and how hard everything is to deal with. And more, I'm like, thank you, God, that, that you're above this. You stepped into it because you care about us, but but you will be able to filter all of this out and you will do what is right, even if in our own culture and even if in our own system of justice, sometimes we're incapable of doing that as human beings, but you will be fair and you will be righteous. And I'm so glad that we can look to you for that. Hmm. Well, guys, we are out of time. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, these have been some uh, some deep questions uh, and also some practical questions that really make a difference in terms of how we go about our day to day, how we treat others, and even uh, you know how we treat ourselves and how we understand our relationship to God and what He can or can't understand about what we're going through. Uh, when I think about the first question, you know, I return to what Joe said really well. It might seem like a humble position to not be willing to forgive yourself. My sin is too bad to forgive. Uh, but the reality is that God forgave it. God was willing to forgive it. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, who do we trust more? Do we trust what God says about us or do we trust what we say about ourselves? And I think the way to rectify that is that we need to deepen our relationship with God until we get to the point where we trust what he says is true about us more than we trust what we say is true about us or what we feel 
about ourselves. And then that second question about uh, God being able to empathize with us, there's really no better way for us to close uh, this episode than by returning to that uh, chapter in Hebrews 4, and maybe I'll just read the uh, ensuing verse as well. It reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Vince, Joe, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca. Mm-hmm.